right. Well, it's good to be upstairs with you guys again. I always like being upstairs because uh, no one's going to stop me halfway through and ask to go pee. Is that right? <laughs> if you need to go in here, you can just go. You don't need to put your hand up, all right? So we'll go like classroom rules, okay? I'm going to trust. You don't need a whole pass. Just go. You come back. Everybody's good, all right? We're good with that? Everybody's good? All right. So uh, last week uh, was phenomenal, I thought. Super good. Uh, we got to eat food together, which was awesome. I thought that was great, and uh, it felt pretty normal, I thought, for the most part. So I'm starting to appreciate those times. I feel like we are slowly moving back to some sort of normalcy, at least, little bit by bit, and so that's all good. But beyond the food and everything like that, I, it, I thought it was super good. And uh, we were really lucky to hear from uh, Pastor Tim one last time, right, from his heart, and I thought... That was very, very special, and I know that he's meant a lot to, to the island, and to me, he's been a blessing to us, he's been a blessing to me, and so uh, he's not here this week, he's taking a well-deserved break before he gets going again, I hope that's not me, uh, so I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of all of us again, and for myself, and wherever you are, Tim, listening to this at some point, or watching it, then we just appreciate you a lot, so I just wanted to echo that again, because normally I'm downstairs, and I just sort of have to shut up and pay attention. So now I have the mic, so I can say what I want. Uh, Tim, we love you. So we're rounding the corner here, actually, on our study in Ephesians. It's pretty crazy. I think we picked this up, like, right after Christmas or something. Basically, like, New Year's, and now we're halfway back there again, uh, and we're still in the same book. But I, I've been enjoying it, and we are getting close to the end of uh, the letter to the Ephesians, okay? So we are, if you, if you like it, we still got a while left. If you hate it, we're almost done, okay? So whatever, but we're rounding the corner here uh, in our study in Ephesians. And just a brief overview of the book again to remind us what's going on. In the first half of the letter, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he's basically telling us the story of the gospel. The first half is setting up and explaining God's story, what he's doing. And then the second half of the book, which is where we are now, is all about this like teaching and this wisdom uh, in order to like how we should live that story out. Like, what's our response to that? Because God did this, because this happened, because Jesus is this, then our response should be this and that and the other thing. And actually, Paul starts to make the case that not only is what how we live a response to what God has already done, but actually how we live is a continued expression of what he's already done and what he is still doing. So not only is our response, something we do because of what God did. But actually, we are reenacting, we are retelling God's story when we choose to live a certain way, right? So all these, like, instructions that he gives, you can read them as little, like, I almost say timbits, little tidbits of wisdom, right? Little timbits of wisdom. Uh, but they're really much more connected than that. And he's actually developing, like, an overarching structure for how, like, if you're going to live in response to the truth of what God has done, then this is what that kind of looks like. And when we live that way, we are participating in God's story ourselves. So we're going to take a quick look here at another bit of instruction that Paul gives us. So Paul has been pouring out teaching on over the last few weeks on things like how to walk in unity, 
uh, in our giftings, newness of man in the Holy Spirit, in love, light. And then last week, uh, Tim taught on wisdom and gave some just generic, really good advice, some wise ways to live. So now we're going to start in chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to flip there, you can. Uh, they'll probably be on the screen. If we have technical difficulties, then I can get, you can take my Bible. It's all good. All right? So chapter 5, verse 22. The Apostle Paul will start here to dish out wisdom over three different relationship dynamics. He highlights three different relationships. The first one is husband and wife or marriage. And then he moves on to children and parents. And then he closes it out with bond servants or slaves and masters. Okay? So he highlights three. We aren't going to be covering all three of those this week. We're just going to be focusing on the first one. But I think it's important for us to notice again that this isn't just an isolated teaching, but it's really a broader like structure that Paul is developing here. This is sort of because of what God has done. Now we choose to live in this way towards each other. So we're going to highlight the marriage thing this week. Uh, you know, thanks. Leave it to Tim to preach and then leave the marriage talk to his son-in-law and peace out, right? I actually think in the room I'm probably the least qualified person to talk about, like, of the married people. I think, I, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Hope and I are still the most newlywed couple in the room. I think. We're finishing our third year. Yes. No. 2018. Right? August 20? Yes. I'm right. Okay. All right. So if you're in here and you've been married less than three years, you could come up and do your best here. All right? So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to do a lot of teaching from what Paul has to say. And if you disagree with anything I say, it's you're disagreeing with Paul, not me. Uh, but if you like it, then maybe there's a little, there's like 1% of, of me in there. But I don't really know much, okay? So I'm going to teach you everything I know from my vast wealth of experience in marriage. And uh, that about wraps it up. You can just go home right here if you want. All right? I'm done. No, we're good. So we're going to be focusing on marriage here uh, just for a few minutes. Uh, and we're not going to be covering too much. I'm usually pretty long-winded, and, and this is good that I don't know much about this. So uh, there are some themes and ideas that I, I just highlighted that, that might extend beyond just the marriage relationship into what Paul will later go on to talk about children and parents and slaves and masters. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do my absolute best to not steal from the future, from what John will eventually be getting to, but you know some things will be interconnected, and so we might get some sort of layering, and that's okay. So we'll, we'll just keep that in mind as we move forward. Um, so here we go. Let's just jump right into our scripture. We'll work our way uh, through it in one chunk together, and then we'll come back and we'll kind of highlight a couple parts, all right? So starting uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, uh, this is what it says here. Well, this is what Paul says. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You want me to stop right there? No, I don't want to stop right there. All right, we'll keep going. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated their own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love their wife as themselves, and let their wife see that she respects her husband. So there are a few things I think worth noting here before we get into some specifics of what Paul's arguing here. Number one, I I would just like to highlight, or Paul highlights, different relationship responsibilities for both women and men, okay? He he highlights certain things that he thinks we are responsible for. In fact, if you'll skip ahead and just look ahead to uh, what we're coming to in the next couple weeks, uh, you'll notice that when it comes to wives and husbands, and children and parents and slaves and masters, Paul actually addresses what would historically be considered like the weaker party, especially in ancient texts. He addresses them first, okay? He talks to these people first. So you'll notice that he actually addressed wives, then he addressed children, then he addresses slaves, okay? So he always goes to what you would historically look at as like the more vulnerable party, and he addresses them, and then he goes and he challenges the one who would be in, like, a position of power or authority over that other party, at least in, like, the first century, okay? That's, I'm not saying that's where you belong necessarily, but that's kind of just the way the world is. And a lot of times, the way that Scripture is written, the apostles and the other, and the p- other people who are writing in the New Testament, like, they're, they're just trying to work within, like, a messed up world to deliver, like, something better, Okay? Uh, like you might have heard the phrase like that, that God can, can dr- make a straight line with a crooked stick, okay? So like these things aren't perfect, these structures aren't perfect, but it's just kind of the way they are. And for most of the people in the New Testament, they didn't, they didn't know when Christ was coming back, and most of them thought it was going to be sooner rather than later. And so they weren't necessarily caught up in like a huge, like we need to uh, like reform the entire world so much as we need to communicate the gospel as quickly as possible. If you would have told some of these guys, you have at minimum like a few thousand years, perhaps they, perhaps they think a little differently. But for the most part, Paul is obsessed here with, okay, so this stuff exists. How do I get people to communicate the gospel to each other and find a better way to live without like having to solo take on the challenge of like women's rights and slavery all by myself in the first century? Like, so, the, so I'm not saying that it's like this, this, is, this is necessarily how he's saying everything should be like this for the rest of time, but this is how it is right now, so this is how we should live, okay? So this is what we should do. So you'll notice he highlights, uh, he addresses the weaker party first. I'll say that. So in the ancient world, women, children, slaves, they were basically property or sub-citizens at best, right? You had value or you had significance based off of your husband, your parent, or your master. Who were you married to? Who's your daddy? Or who owned you, okay? That's what gave you any sort of, like, say in the matter. Who are you married to? Who's your father? 
and who owns you. Like that's what gave you significance. It's pretty messed up, okay? Most writings and teachings in the ancient world wouldn't even bother to address these people. They would just speak to the head of the household, which would always be a man, and they say, like, this is how you should run things, and you just sort of rule with an iron fist, tell them how it is. Some people would be nice, but, you know, people teaching law and just general rule of household in a Greco-Roman world would always be just talk to the guy, and he'll sort of run his house the way he wants to, okay? So even just in this, without explicitly saying it, like in Paul, specifically addressing women, children, and slaves first, and even addressing them at all, he's actually elevating them to a place of equality. They also get responsibility because they're capable of responsibility, okay? So this is actually like a very forward-thinking thing that Paul is doing here. He's giving responsibility to people who technically, typically at the time, wouldn't be trusted with much of anything. So he's giving them, he's humanizing them, and he's elevating them. And in Galatians 3.28, he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul is, he's elevating people that are typically trampled over, okay? So Paul is saying we are all equal, but one's not above the other, but we do have separate responsibilities that are unique to each other. But a husband isn't above a wife, and a wife is not above a husband. So you'll notice that even though women are uh, instructed to respect, or other translations will say submit, there's, that's kind of interchangeable, uh, respect or submit to their husbands, uh, Paul goes on and the instruction to the husbands is like way more specific, it's way more detailed, it's more lengthy, and it's more challenging, like the bar is super high, okay? So, you know, one, submit is, is kind of a buzzword, uh, but if, you, if we compare like the... The challenges, the the uh, one given to the husbands is like is super super challenging and near impossible to live up to. So in that, uh, we I think we recognize that Paul's idea of like a healthy godly marriage is not like one person just submitting and getting trampled over by the other person. It's not really what Paul's saying here when he says submission, because the challenge he gives to husbands is like super difficult. So. Instead, I think he's painting a picture of a husband and a wife who work together for the benefit of the other person, okay? So you're not going into this relationship with, like, selfish, like, I'm trying to get this out of this relationship, but instead it's like, I'm trying to give as much as I can for the other person. And if we're both living that way, then that's, that's what Paul says we, we should be doing. So the solution to our marriages are not to overpower the other person and just like dominate them to get them to submit and like, oh, we never have any problems because I just say do this and they just say yes. Okay, that's not what Paul's saying here when he says submission. It's not what he's saying. It's about loving one another. It's about loving each other. So let's look here at some specifics. Wives, submit to your husbands as they do to the Lord. For as for husbands, love your wives. So he, there's some asymmetry here that's going on, and I think it's intentional. Paul rarely does stuff by accident. He could have written, wives love your husbands, and husbands rule your wives. Okay? That would have been what we would typically say is a little more natural, I guess, because men 
will often find it super easy to throw their weight and their ego around. This, this is not a one-size-fit-all, but for the most part, men will often find it easy to throw their own weight around on an issue, and they will find it difficult to self-sacrificially express love. And likewise, women sometimes will often find it easy and perhaps natural to express love, but sometimes difficult to respect their husband. Especially, this is my Adam Demergent Scribal Edition, especially if, if their husband is a hot dog, okay? It's difficult to, to respect a hot dog. So let's, <laughs> so let's take a closer look here. Verse 22, verse 22. Wives, uh, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So here, Paul is showing us we have a wife who loves Jesus, okay? This is like presupposed, because this is the second half of his letter. If you love God, if you experienced his story and his saving gospel, now this is how you'll live in, in response to that. So, like, this is presupposing that you love Jesus, okay? It's because people that don't, they, we can live all types of wacky, okay? And that's a whole other thing. Peter talks about what do you do when you, when, like, you serve somebody who doesn't love Christ back, right? And he actually says you should just keep doing it. But it's just a bummer. It just kind of, that's the way it is. But he doesn't say, well, you just get a, get a jail-free card. It just sort of sucks, and that's kind of how it is, right? You just serve them and love them, even if they don't do it back to you. Okay? But here, we're presupposing that this is a, a marriage between two people that actually like want to follow Jesus. Okay? So here you have a wife who loves Jesus, and Paul challenges her to respect her husband and allow him to become responsible for her. Like, let him take on the weight of responsibility for you. You actually have to like, let him do that. Okay? And then in response to that, he says, husband. So a husband that loves Jesus. Love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here we have a husband who is challenged to love his wife and use that responsibility that she gives to him to then turn around and lay down his selfish agenda and instead prioritize his wife's well-being above his own. Okay? So this is where it becomes difficult. Because we don't necessarily live our relationships that way. Paul is, Paul is talking about something that's a little bit countercultural or, or the way that we would naturally live, perhaps. Uh, in the modern world, a lot of our relationships are driven by power or control. And so the idea when all you care about is power or control, the idea of submitting to somebody is terrifying. Because what if they abuse that power? And the idea of laying down your own ambitions for somebody else's benefit is terrifying because you're giving over control to somebody else. So Paul is not talking about power. He's talking about love. And for Paul, when our marriages are oriented like this, mutual love for each other, 
this is an expression of the gospel story. Like this is the story of God being expressed the way that we live towards our spouse. That's expressing the gospel. So remember the first half of Ephesians is illustrating the gospel story and the second half is about applying it and expressing it in our lives. So when he says this stuff, this is all about us living out God's gospel in the world. So the temptation for us is to view and use relationships as a vehicle for power or control, leverage, networking, fulfillment, and selfish gain. That's the temptation, is to take a relationship and sort of skew it, and it's still a thing, but now it's working towards something that that it shouldn't be, something other than. We leverage our relationships for power over one another, and if we view our relationship, our marriage, Through the lens of power, things can go sideways super quickly. We start using each other as a means to an end. And the key, Paul argues, to a healthy marriage is that both husband and wife are oriented and striving for the benefit of the other person. That's their pursuit every day, is to respect and serve uh, David Stern puts it this way in, in uh, his, his New Testament commentary. He says, In self-oriented marriages, arguments are between women who don't respect their husbands and men who don't love their wives. In God-oriented marriages, arguments still happen, but they have an altogether different character because they're between men who are willing to go the extra mile in loving and women who are willing to go the extra mile in respecting. In these marriages that are God-oriented and for the benefit of the other person, it's not just a union of two. Jesus is the third partner. He is the third strand in the cord that holds it all together. That's why Paul's teachings on marriage aren't about power. They're about love. Because Christ has all the authority and he has all the power. And when we invite him into our relationship, into our marriage, we are called to love one another as an expression of God's goodness. So this love is demonstrated, Paul says, through respecting each other and serving each other. So when we invite Christ into our marriages and we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to renovate our hearts, to change us from the inside and properly orient ourselves for the benefit of our partner— We relinquish our pursuit of power and control, and instead we adopt a posture of love. So we have to relinquish our desire and our need and our pursuit for power and control, and instead we adopt the position of love, the posture of love. So we must find a way to release our need for power over one another, our need for control and influence over one another, and instead we give it back to Christ, who is the only one who is qualified to bear that weight of power. He's the only one who really can do it properly. So my job as a husband and your job as a wife is is not to control or influence, but it is to love. Your job is not to control but to love. But it's not always that easy. It's not always that easy. Who goes first, right? Does a wife respect in order to get their husband to serve? Or does a husband serve in order to get their wife to respect? Who goes first? 
Paul seems to suggest that the answer is just yes, <laughs> right? The answer is yes. Both people, assuming that both people love Jesus, okay? Both people, both members of a marriage should act first, should act first. But a wife's decision to respect her husband or a husband's decision to serve their wife is not contingent on the other person doing the same thing for them. This is part of our call, I think, to carry our cross every day. We wake up, we die to ourselves, we serve each other, even if we're not met with the same treatment ourselves. Hopefully you are, but even if we're not, we can't wait for the other person to do the right thing as if we aren't ourselves being called by the Holy Spirit to take the first step, okay? So maybe you take that first step and, and, and you show love to your spouse and they don't reciprocate. Oof. You go the extra mile and they're still bitter or they're still harsh with you. What do you do? Do it again, do it again, do it again. Like forgiveness, love has no limit. There's not a certain amount of strikes and then you're done. And when Christ is the third member of your relationship, of your marriage, when he's that third part of the cord, his power can sustain you in serving your spouse like that. Now, there, there's nothing in here about staying in like dangerous situations or things that are like ungodly, okay? So that's presupposed when Paul says we should serve each other this way. He, he's, this is consistent with Old Testament and New Testament scripture. If your spouse is requiring you to do something that's like sinful, you, that's God's law is above like your family law and the country law. So if you're in an abusive situation, things like that, that's not saying like just take it, okay? Like get out, do something that is in line with God's commandments and not like something that's evil, okay? But we're talking about just like day-to-day -day living, okay? So just don't get that messed up like Adam said, you have to stay in this toxic relationship that's harmful. That's not what I'm saying, okay? That's not what I'm saying. And Paul would actually tell you like if, if that's happening from either party to you, like that that's breaking God's law and you, and you need to like, you need to go live somewhere else, okay? So don't, don't, don't get caught up on something that perhaps I, I'm not saying, but we can feel things that aren't there, maybe. So I just want to at least release you from feeling like you have to, I'm telling you to do something with God's, I'm not telling you to do something with God's authority on something that Paul does not talk about, okay? So this principle extends beyond even our marriages. So if you're in here and you're not married, I've got something for you too, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes into all our relationships, okay? Friendship and dating, whatever it is, okay? And you'll see that because later Paul will use the same sort of themes talking with parents and children and slaves and masters, okay? So clearly there's something consistent here that goes beyond just like marriage love. So in every relationship, if you are a Christ follower, work for the benefit of the other person. Work for their benefit. Adopt an attitude of humility and take the posture of a servant. Readjust. Maybe you have to go back to like this control center dials and, and tune the knobs, okay? Readjust the dynamics in your life from the emphasizing power and, and change that to love, okay? So how am I operating? Am I trying to get control or, or power or money or anything else? Or am I operating to love somebody? Is that my goal? Am I trying to serve them? Go to that and, and, and ask those hard questions and reevaluate how we structure our relationships and live them out. Whether we feel deep emotional love, 
doesn't excuse us from taking the action of love and serving each other despite what response is given back to us or even how we're treated beforehand, right? However, I'll say this. Don't, don't get this twisted. This saying like, I, I have to love you, but I don't have to like you. I hate that. Throw it out, okay? Throw it out. It's just, it, people just use that as, as justification to, to be a jerk to each other, okay? And then still feel like they have some moral high ground, okay? Doing the right thing and grumbling about it the whole time is allowing something other than love to have that place of honor in why you're doing what you're doing, okay? And the danger of saying things like, oh, I, I don't have to like you, but I have to love you, is we start to internalize that. And then all of a sudden, we start to think, oh, maybe God looks at me like that. That's not what love is, okay? That's not what, that's not what love is. In fact, Scripture will tell us that, that God actually likes you. Like, he, he actually likes who you are. He's not obligated to love you, but he's like, oh, I hate Adam, but, like, I'm a good God, so I have to do it, right? Oh, he actually likes me, I think, right? So we don't want to get caught up in this, like, weird divided thing of, like, oh, I have to like, love you, but I don't have to like you. It's like, what is that? That's not love at all. So just be very careful, okay? But sometimes the decision to serve, love, and respect somebody needs to come before actually feeling like you really want to, okay? And that's a part of laying down your life, of picking up your cross. So take the first step of respect, of serving, of loving, even if it's difficult. And if it is difficult, it's okay to take that difficult decision and then offer that up as an act of worship to God and an act of serving to your spouse. Like, it's okay if it's hard. It's okay if it's hard. I love, I love how Paul's instructions for marriage here, they avoid talking about things like, well, you said this, or he said this, she said this, they did this, and I don't like this thing that they do, or like he doesn't do that. And instead, he challenges each of us to orient ourselves, not focus on the other person, but orient ourselves to striving for the best for the other person. And this is an expression of God's kingdom on earth. So then we're going to wrap this up here in a minute or two, but Paul moves from just giving instruction to wives and husbands. He now moves to an illustration. He paints this picture of Christ and how Christ restored us all by his death on the cross. And he even ties in this beautiful reference to the Jewish ceremonial washings in a mikvah uh, that would be used to prepare a, a bride before their wedding ceremony making them spotless. Okay, so this is, he's painting this really, really beautiful picture of what Christ has done for everybody. And he says, this is what he's done for us. He gave everything at great cost to himself to restore and elevate us to a place of honor as his bride. And it's to this bar that husbands are being held to serve their wives, which is a ridiculously high bar. How do you love somebody and serve them to the same level that Christ did for everybody? Like, nobody in here is perfect at all. So how do we live up to this impossible standard of serving one another? How? How do we love our spouse in an area to a level that's near impossible? How do we measure up to a bar or a standard that Christ himself set? By just beginning to release, relinquish our need for control, for gain, for power, readjusting ourselves to seek the prosperity of our partner before our own by taking the posture of a servant and acting first in love. So how do I see my relationships become more fulfilling, 
more prosperous, more life-giving, by inviting Christ to be the third member, the cord in the strand, by taking love and putting that in the position, the seat of the driver, instead of selfish gain or power or control or manipulation or anything else. We can't do that without God's help because we can't reach that bar on our own. Nobody can. And finally, in verse 31, Paul closes out his instruction here uh, by quoting the Torah. You've likely heard this verse before. uh, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You've heard that before? Yeah. So he's quoting quoting the Torah. He's quoting Genesis. Genesis 2.24. And it's some pretty authoritative writing. And Paul argues that men and women in their, like, original created state were, like, a very special union. And even to this day, the union of husband and wife is an expression of Christ's love for his church. And I love how he can't even quite put it into words. He just sort of says, it's a profound mystery. And you'll notice that later, talking about children and parents, slaves and masters, and every other relationship, those are, we can't understand those. But the union between a husband and wife is a profound mystery. It's a profound mystery. So I would just say this. Above every other relationship except you and God, and that's it. Your marriage is like key and priority over everything. This might be controversial. I am a children's pastor. Your marriage is more important than your relationship to your kid. It just is. One is a profound mystery. One is the bedrock for how you live out the rest of your marriage or of your relationships. So when we we need to get this one right because it is a profound mystery. This one in particular is an expression of Christ's love for his church. And it just blows my mind. It just blows my mind. So when a husband and wife become one and serve each other, the gospel story is told once again. Following Paul's train of thought, we go all the way back to the original creation. We were made as an expression of God's great love. And it is a profound mystery. So let our lives and our relationships be storytellers of God's goodness. How do we treat each other? Let that be a storyteller of God's goodness. To try to express the kingdom of God in everything we do can be a near impossible challenge when we first start out our journey of following Jesus. And maybe you're on that path today, no matter where you are on that path of following Christ. If you get sideways, it's okay. Like you can start again today. You can start again. Maybe we can't get everything perfect and right immediately, but Paul's invitation and his challenge to us is to reorient ourselves to the benefit of the other person and love them. In our, in our world, in our, in our culture, our modern world, it's full of manipulation and contingencies. We network and we use one another for our own ambitions and gain. We are a what's-in-it-for-me society. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Like, we're both going to do something for the other person. What if instead we decided today to love one another without an agenda or a goal in mind, 
No, not concerned with what you're going to do before I love you or what you're going to do in response to me. Like, that's not in my radar. What if we decided to love each other without the thought of winning or being right, of getting something from each other? What if instead of using each other as stepping stones and ladder rungs, we invited Christ into a relationship and we partnered with him? Would God's kingdom permeate our marriage, move into our families, out of our church and all through the island? Maybe that's too much to ask for you today, too daunting of a task to tackle at one time, and I understand that. It's a big thing. Maybe the best thing you can do is take just Paul's simple advice and just begin with two things, respect and serve. If we practice those two things, we are living out, as Paul would say, the profound mystery of God's story. And his gospel is expressed in our marriages, in our families, in our community, and on our island. Respect and serve. Can we pray? All right. God, thanks for our uh, time together. And, uh, man, I... They're, like our, our marriages are so important and a lot of people will, will experience this and some people won't, God, but I just ask that you would help us to focus on the overarching theme here that you're, that you're revealing to us. God, would you help us take the attitude of a servant? Would we elevate each other? In, instead of stepping on each other and, and lifting ourselves above one another, would you help us uh, live up to the standard that, that Christ set for all of us when he gave himself at great cost for all of us, for our benefit, God? Would we live that way every day? Would you help us wake up and decide to respect and submit to each other and to, and to love each other and take that trust that we give one another and, and treat each other well? Would you help us Help, be, help us be people like that. Maybe that means we need to ask your Holy Spirit to come into our lives and, and check our priorities and, and renovate our hearts so that now we strive towards your goodness and your goodness for other people before we even start to think about what we want and, uh, and our, own, our own ambitions. But would you just help, God, our relationships and the way that we treat our spouses and our friends even? Would you help that? be an expression and a declaration of, of your gospel that would go out through Grandma Nan and people would look at the way we treat each other and think, that's different. Help us make love the driver. In Jesus' name, amen.